Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, where filmmakers become entrepreneurs. With my dad, he's a dork. Hi, and welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast. I'm your host, Scott McMahon, and this is a podcast where we try to help filmmakers become entrepreneurs. Today's episode is sponsored by the new book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion While Doing It. If you're a filmmaker who essentially has no distribution deal and you have a finished film and you're wondering, well, what do I do with it now and can I sell it online? Well, then this book is perfect for you. So just head on over to survivetheimplosion.com and you can check out all the details. Again, that's at survivetheimplosion.com. My guest today is Ben Yenny. He's a producer's rep and also the founder of Producer Foundry up in the Bay Area in San Francisco. Ben is a repeat guest. He was actually on episode number 45. So if you check out um, filmtrooper.com forward slash 45, you can listen to the first interview I did with Ben as we were discussing uh, various things about the film industry, as well as he had just released his new book, The Gorilla Rep, American Film Market Distribution Success on No Budget. It's actually available on Amazon right now, so you can check that out. Anyhow, without further ado, here is Ben Yenny a producer's rep and the founder of Producer Foundry here on Film Trooper Podcast. Hey, Ben, how are you doing, man? I'm good. How are you, Scott? <laughs> good, good. So, you know, it's funny. Uh, you're one of my uh, only repeat uh, podcast guests that have ever been on Film Trooper. So uh, it's very cool to have you back on. The... Well, I'm honored. <laughs> so um, I, w- I would actually love to know where uh, what's developed over at Producer Foundry because I've watched you guys sort of grow from you know from starting out but it's, it looks really great like I'm looking at your site uh, mm-hmm. the message the workshops the community that you're building uh, if you can kind of just give a rundown of the the, the state of affairs over at uh, producer foundry uh, yeah no uh, over at producer foundry we've done uh, f- three workshops so far we'll be doing our fourth in just over a week uh, we're still doing our town hall. We've done most months since we started. Um, and the thing that's actually been growing most, uh, to our surprise, are both the blog and the podcast. Um, we're actually about to be, uh, we're just working on some stuff on the site, but we're going to be releasing a free ebook um, called The Entrepreneurial Producer, which will actually be my second book and a compilation of some of the better blogs that I've written over the years um, and put into a single ebook that uh, we'll make available for free uh, if you join our mailing list. Maybe. So, yeah. Nice. So what kind of, um, what have you discovered in like the past year in terms of like the, um, I don't know, the, the community that, that's up there in the Bay Area in terms of what are the pain points of people going through or what some of the discoveries or transformations have you seen within the community? It's funny. There are several pain points um, that came up at our town hall this week. I don't actually know when this is airing. But, um, uh, yeah, we'll probably do it really quick because uh, we'll talk later because yeah. I know you guys have an ups, upcoming yeah. workshop and I want to make sure that we uh, get some more information about that. Okay, cool. Um, but uh, the last town hall, which was on uh, this last Tuesday, which would have been, I, I don't remember the date offhand, but it was a, uh, it was a relatively small affair, but we ha- actually ended up just by chance having a bunch of Bay Area film meetup organizers there. There were about four of us, 
um, who all organize different meetups, and uh, we're actually looking at potentially working a little closer together to bring together our different strengths, because each of us has our own little niche that we kind of stick in, and uh, we're all just really trying to build a better film scene in the Bay Area, primarily because uh, it seems like people who live up here get to a certain level in their filmmaking talent, and then they move to L.A. So So, um, what we're trying to do is create more of a sustainable ecosystem where people can actually find the sort of work they want instead of being nickel and dimed for uh, corporate work these days. Uh, Because even though there's a whole heck of a lot of money uh, flowing into startups right now, Hopefully one of them will be mine soon. But um, the uh, there's a whole heck of a lot of money flowing into startups right now. It seems like they really don't understand the amount of skill it takes uh, and the amount of money it takes to produce something very high quality um, of anything. I mean... <clears throat> I mean, I know like you're all about the Uber independent filmmaker and mm-hmm. making for five grand, but or excuse me for five hundred dollars. <laughs> but um, I'm crossing stories in my head. But uh, I mean, I heard of like a three or a four minute corporate video um, that they expected pretty high production values for, and was for I'm not going to name what company because, but uh, for uh company that's made more than a million in revenue and has raised more than five million in financing and uh they paid five grand for the video wow um which is just i mean you can't live Mm -hmm. on that as a filmmaker no um especially since the level of production they were expecting was not a one-man crew um so there, there's a real disconnect between brands and uh, what it actually takes to make high-quality video. I think a lot of it is due to the uh, new technologies where everybody thinks all you have to do is go out and use your iPhone to make a movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can do that. Probably not going to be that good. Um, it, there's a reason that a lot of professional filmmakers and people who make like big studio features shell out for the red shell out for scarlet uh black black magic all those sorts of cameras and they're not cheap yeah i mean yeah so uh anyway it seems like the biggest so sorry the biggest pain points in the bay, bay area seem to be that our talents that our best talent is leaving and that the work we can find up here, uh, we're really being undercut um, because Silicon Valley doesn't appreciate the skill set that you need to make it well. Hmm. So, and then aren't they forced at that point sometimes to go to an agency that will hire like an L.A. production company anyway? Then they, then they have to pay? I mean, if, if they go down that route, like some of these uh, um, tech companies or so on? It's 
Yeah, um, th- some of them do, and there's another thing that seems to be happening that uh, I don't have enough hard information to make the accusations I want to make. <laughs> so uh, I can't. Uh, so I'm just not going to do that. Yeah, yeah. Right on the internet. But um, there are some things that seem. Uh, it seems like there were a lot of promises made to us uh, when the uh, new California film tax incentive came out and there was a 5% boost outside the LA zone. There were a lot of... There were a lot of people saying, oh, there will be a lot more work for for filmmakers up here because people will want that extra 5% tax boost from California. And yeah, that's kind of true to a level, but some of the biggest people lobbying for it were the hotel industry. Hmm. Um, and if you really unravel that, it's interest. It'd be interesting to see numbers on what percentage of these uh, out of California, of these out of the LA zone shoots actually use local crew versus just busing and flying their people up from LA. Yeah, I see um, what you're saying. Yeah, so... Because um, it'd be different if it was like another state where yeah. it's like, okay, then... But because it's in California, mm-hmm. you kind of like, you know, the LA zone is like, well, it's, we then it's everything in California. It just, mm-hmm. we, we can qualify for those tax credits and so on. Interesting. It's an interesting di- dynamic that's what's going on up there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it is a... Uh, it, it's... There are a lot of moving pieces, but uh, as pessimistic a picture as I'm painting, there are also a, there are also some really stubborn uh, people who really don't with talent and with connections and with, for lack of a better word, moxie, um, who want to make stuff happen up here. Mm-hmm. And I think we might actually be getting close to the critical mass we need to actually really start it. There are a couple of skill sets that I'm not 100% sure we have, but I think, but uh, there are meetings taking place behind closed doors. That I Interesting. Um, yeah. So um, it's a. Uh, so basically, uh, I think. There are a lot. There are a lot of us who just don't want to move to LA, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of LA filmmakers who want to move up here. The big thing is there's not really a sustainable source of work, um, and you can make an independent film anywhere these days. Right. I mean, you don't need the. It's not like in the '90s when you needed the film processing facilities, the all that sort of business. Um, you can make them anywhere, and uh, the big thing is just where um, is just getting money and getting distribution. And there aren't that many distribution players up here in uh, SF, unless you want to self-distribute, which not everyone does. Some people can do and can do very well, but and honestly, sometimes good self-distribution that actually puts up strong numbers 
uh, can lead to more meaningful other sorts of distribution too. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it, it, it's just there are a, like I said, there are a few key pieces missing. They're kind of here, they're not strong enough here, and I think really what we need is for more of the ecosystem to talk to each other instead of going off into our own little corners. And, yeah. So, sorry, I've gone off in the weeds on this. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's interesting um, to yeah. get a perspective um, of a different region or area yeah. and sort of the struggles. I'm sure uh, other uh, cities and other communities could relate to what you're saying. So uh, let me know what what's going on with this workshop, the next workshop that you guys are putting on. Uh, the next workshop we're putting on is actually the first one hosted by little old me. Yay. Um, what, I, when's the date and everything? It's on September 8th. Uh, it's from 1230 to 4 at Sammy's Camera in San Francisco. Big shout out to Sammy's. You guys are awesome. <laughs> uh, but um, the... It's on uh, preparing for the American film market, and it includes uh, an examination of some of the information uh, in my book. Uh, that it just goes into a lot more detail, and also covers some different things that you might not actually be able to get just from the book. So. Yeah, um, I mean, I tried to write the book with a primer with. As a primer for AFM, um, and I've and since I've actually been out distributing films, well, linking films to distribution as a producer's rep, uh, and I've been out uh, really hustling on that front. I've actually learned quite a lot more about it because every deal you learn a little something. Mm-hmm. Um, so this. Uh, this workshop is kind of meant to be both a basic overview of what traditional distribution is and why you need a sales agent um, if you're going to go about it, then how to attract them and how to use the American film market to actually meet and establish a relationship with them. Uh, It's more rolling out a plan to actually get a sales agent on your film because um, I think a lot of people think all it is I mean I've heard stories that like from some of the sales agents and distributors I know that there are people who hop off the bus from North Carolina and just say I have a script give me five million dollars to make my movie <laughs> um, I don't think anyone listening to this podcast knows that's not how it works yeah um, but yeah, so it's more, um, it, it, it's kind of just meant to give, to give you a really good guide on how to go about talking and approaching distributors because there is an art to it. And if you do it badly, you really can burn some people, that, uh, will, and if you burn enough people, word gets around them. It can be really hard to make it in this industry. It's a pretty small industry, really. Um, especially once you start talking about the distribution community. Um, I personally know about 50 distributors. Um, 
and sales agents. I just use, I lump them together because a lot of them do both. Um, but the uh, what's the um, what's the, how do you somebody listen to this might go oh, okay what's the difference between a distributor, a sales agent, and a producer's rep? Okay, um, a distributor would be someone who takes your film and then generally if you've met them in America um, or in Canada or if generally if you've met them this side of the pond. North America. They, yes, yeah. North America. They will take that and they will sell it to uh, North American theater chains, North American DVD, D- DVD retailers, um, if you're lucky, you'll get some of the bigger ones, but DVD is kind of in the toilet, so that's not really happening much. A lot of times now, they have relationships with the bigger VOD platforms, so it's more likely you'll be able to get on places like Amazon Prime, Hulu, um, sometimes Netflix, but generally you want to wait on Netflix, because unless it's original content, which you have to be super A-level to get on their original content, Netflix doesn't pay anything. Uh, well, I mean, they pay you something, but it, it's it's less. Often those deals are less than that number I quoted earlier for that commercial. So uh, yeah, I think if yeah, I mean it's anywhere anywhere from like forty thousand to maybe the high end two hundred thousand. Sometimes if sometimes like a the sixty thousand range for a feature film, if that or less. That's what I heard. Depends on who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Because uh, yes, if you're a Sundance Audience Choice Award winner, yeah, you might get forty thousand, maybe. Yeah, for a um, film that probably costs you, you got to think anywhere. Billion, yeah, a lot um, more yeah. than that. <laughs> yeah, no, but I've heard of deals uh, where uh, it wasn't actually my client, so I think I actually can say the numbers. Uh, <laughs> so I've heard of deals that were. As little as twelve hundred dollars for a two-year license. Yeah. Um, twelve hundred again. Twelve hundred. And yeah. Uh, not only that, but it was payable quarterly over the term of the license. Mm. <laughs> so you talk about basically like every three months you get a check for one hundred and fifty bucks. What, yeah. What are you gonna do with that? I mean, it's. Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, but um, so that is, so like really use Netflix as your last stage syndication if you're going that way, um, or if you get, or if you're going the Uber independent route and Netflix likes your numbers enough to pick you up, take it knowing you won't make much money and it'll probably tank your actual VOD sales, but you'll have a film on Netflix which will make it easier to finance the next film. There you so go. that's, I mean, that's it, it. It's one thing that's actually that is actually explicitly stated in my contract is that um, as a producer's rep, I look out for my client's best interest, and that is not always monetary. Um, sometimes the best interest is in terms of building their brand and building their view count, so that they can make their next film bigger. Um, because really what I do, uh, so segueing into your next, um, actually going to go back and then I'm going to go back to sales agent. Gotcha. Then I'm going to go back to producers rep. Gotcha. But, uh, so sales agents are someone who will 
deal with other distributors. They're technically distributors, although they're generally called buyers, um, who will just pay a flat price for certain rights in certain territories across the world. Now, there's generally speaking somewhere... My numbers are off because, again, I'm not actually a sales agent. I do look over estimates and things, but um, I don't know every territory off the top of my head. Um, there's somewhere between 30 and 40 territories um, in seven, in I think seven, major areas that are um, that uh, the sales agent will then sell to. And generally, the way that works is... Is this they just uh, North America or just around the world? 40 territories or world? These are foreign territories around the world. Okay, sales, got it. The, the distributor deals domestically. Got it. Generally. The uh, sales agent deals internationally. Got it. So they take your um, film and they will then um, try to sell it to foreign distributors or foreign exactly. markets. Got it. Exactly. And that's the biggest difference between the two. And it... it, it it's actually a fairly simple distinction, but it's easy to get confused. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, one of the more, one of, going digging down a little bit on that, generally the biggest difference between a distributor and a sales agent is that a distributor will often take as much as uh, 40 to 50% for U.S., um, which is high. If you see that for U.S., that is, if you see that on the low budget scale for US, that happens, it's high, it's a little scary for me, and I generally tend to kind of shy away from those guys, but if you see like 50% for an international sales agent, that's bonkers, that's nuts, don't sign that deal. Mm -hmm. um, really, uh, really a good number if they're combining the two and just not splitting this, them which often they should, really the highest you should ever take is about 35% that I've seen. And I've seen I've also seen good distributors do a lot less for big films. Um, so it's a um, it's generally pretty... Uh, so yeah, anyway. And then a producer's rep is someone like me who actually uh, understand... Who, understands the film markets and has connections to distributors sometimes they will be a lawyer i am not a lawyer mm -hmm. uh but they cannot but they do understand what a distribution deal looks like and some of the things to look out for in a distribution deal again and they kind of act like an agent for the film um while i think of myself as more of an agent for a filmmaker because i like to look for young filmmakers with talent and try to help grow with them and help them grow their careers because it grows my businesses, their careers grow. Um, so the, uh, that's kind of where I focus more. Um, but in terms of just making a film, in terms of a producer's rep, the producer rep acts as a liaison between sales agents and distributors and filmmakers to help point out when a deal is bad and help you avoid dealing with the bad distributors that you'll never get paid from. So uh, it is never 100%, but you have a lot better odds with a uh, sales agent because they actually know, or sorry, with a producer's rep because they actually know the game because there are a lot of con men out there. Yeah.
So if a, a sales agent, like you're mentioning, if they're asking for 50%, that's way high run, but 35 might be the highest. You're saying that it's just, uh, do they also take a retaining fee, a retainer's fee? Uh, do, do you ha- is there something that filmmakers have to pay up front to work with a sales agent? Uh, or, um, or is it just strictly percentage commission? If they're a good sales agent, it's percentage commission. Okay. Um, the what there are a couple of exceptions. There may be things you have to pay for on the deliverables end, um, like you may have to pay for your own closed captioning. Um, you may have to pay for a, cer- a certain cu- for a couple things, at least English. If like if it's if it's closed captioning, if it's foreign subtitles, the foreign distributor generally picks that up because it doesn't make sense for any distri- any sales agent to pay for like every language in the world to be for it to be subtitled in but um that's generally something that's included in the uh sales in the foreign buyers fees but um the big thing is uh like there are a couple of other distributor costs sometimes if you're going to amazon i've heard of people charging for the aspira portal and that again is somewhat reasonable but uh Depending on how well you are, on how well connected you are, you may know someone who can give you access to it for free. But um, there's only about 30 people with access to the Aspira portal, so you might not know any of them. But uh, so, and 30 companies, a lot of them are post production houses. But um, so sometimes you do have to pay for stuff like that. But if they're charging for just a uh, flat out retainer to keep you in their catalog, that's a pretty big warning sign for me. Um, and actually, on, actually, who's more likely to do that is actually producers' reps. Um, producers' reps a lot of times will be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, no, I'll get, I'll sell your film to someone in at AFM. I'll take your film to AFM for me. Just pay me five grand, and I'll do it." Um, that's not how I roll, um, but. I mean, honestly, at this point, if I went, I, I will probably go to AFM this year just because I like AFM and I like seeing, it's kind of like a high school reunion for me. I get to see all these people I haven't seen in a year and talk to everybody. But um, really, at this point, I don't need to go anymore. Um, I already know everybody. Um, so, or at least I know the bigger players that matter. There are always some smaller, newer players that are good to keep an eye on, but. But essentially, if you had a film, you can just make a call, basically. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, like, I'm, there's a good chance I'll have three films placed before AFM. So, like, if I'm going, if I'm going, part of what I'll be doing is to go up and walk up and make sure they've got, like, the freaking posters for the movies that they're selling for me out and they're actually selling them. Like that would be a different reason to go than actually to go and pitch because at least the first five days of the market, the distributors are selling. They're, they don't want to talk to filmmakers. Sometimes they'll spend the last day or two talking to filmmakers. Not all of them will. But yeah. Um, but I mean, really, they're, the, distri- the sales agents are there to sell. So if you go to try to sell your movie at AFM, don't don't expect to close there and don't expect and really uh just really try to establish try to 
don't try to sell your film there. Try to establish a relationship with as many distributors as you can because if they like you, they're more likely to do business with you. It is... I know that sounds a little... I don't know. Well, but, I think yeah. for those who, like... There's so many... There's a fervor at AFM or any film market where everybody's just looking to like, it's just a constant barrage of selling, you know, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's not like, you know, there's more sellers than buyers. And a lot of the sellers, you know, are not, they don't have all their, they don't have everything with them in terms of um, sort of the industry knowledge, industry maturity to it. Uh, like I said, too pie in the sky, like you're mentioning the, the analogy, somebody coming from another state coming into AFM and just saying, you know, here's my script, give me money, that kind of thing. It's, it's always mm-hmm. like, it's a lot of give me, give me, or take, take, take. So to find somebody who's level-headed, who is aware of how sort of the game is played or the, you know, how that structure works out is a little bit of relief because that professionalism will carry a long way. And your book is excellent in that sense because it does give a, you know, a great, you know, primer for anybody who's going to attend the American film market. Uh, I do especially like your book uh, at the end with all the interviews with all, you know, that's a, a really insightful perspective of how everyone thinks um, attending the American film market. Let me mm-hmm. ask you something real quick before I forget. The you mentioned this portal, the from Amazon. Um, what what was it called again? Aspira. Um, I believe it's A S P I R A. And what is this um, uh, portal? Asp- it's essentially the only way you can submit to be eligible for Amazon Prime. Um, and there are only a few people who have access to it because they've got to be hand selected by Amazon to make sure their deliverables are exactly as they need them to be, to be able to be shown across as many screens as possible. Um, I think Amazon, I don't know the exact subscriber count for Amazon, but it's quite large. It's, um, I on, actually, you know, I didn't really do my research before this because I didn't That's think right. we were going into VOD stuff. So no, no, it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> But well, I didn't hear about that because usually when people talk about getting on those platforms, you just find the approved aggregator and the aggregator, that aggregator will have the uh, necessary relationships uh, to get the technically your, your film onto the platforms you need. As long as you're willing to pay, mm-hmm. usually a flat fee to the aggregator. Now, it's funny because aggregators, which are different than distributors, because they are sort of technically just there as a, a quality assurance um, service. Mm-hmm. So that way iTunes, Amazon, Netflix doesn't have to deal with every individual producer submitting like a subpar technical file. And that's why you have an aggregation company that's approved to be able to make sure that, you know, if you're going to submit it to iTunes, it has their specs. If it, you know, if Netflix has their specs. And now some I've seen some aggregators kind of cross over and I don't know if they disguise themselves as a dis- distributor, but, you know where they take not only a percentage of the sales of the film, but you also have to pay for their service. So it's kind of funny because there's there's aggregators out there like or just straight services mm-hmm. like distributor, yeah. uh, Bitmax, that are like, okay, here's what this is what our quality assurance fee or quality control fee is. You know, we take care of it, we put it up. Whether or not it sells or not, that's not up our concern, that's your concern, you know, to market. And then there's like Gravitas, like I don't know if like A24 might fall in that category a little bit. In terms of these other uh, distributors that you see pop up on a uh, VOD, where there's like a little logo that pops up, 
And, you know, I know that Gravitas has been in the that space for a while. So it's hard to say, like, what sort of push, uh, marketing push or dis- distribution push. I know that uh, Gravitas started getting to some small theatrical releases, mm-hmm. but it's 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 it gets kind of muddy. So you kind of have to do your homework yeah. on each one, of course. Yeah, no, and um, you very much have to do your homework on each one. It's really easy to confuse an aggregator with someone who will actually help you make money. And no, the aggregator is a strict service that will only cost you money. You have to market it to make money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the uh, big thing on there is that uh, I've, I personally I've heard good things about Gravitas. I don't. I, I know I have at least one contact who's. Uh, having their film handled through them. Um, so the big thing about getting on Amazon Prime, Hulu, or Netflix, which are really the big ones, is that if you're going to get on there, you need a contact on the inside in the acquisitions department. Uh, there really is no other way. Um, so just So even if you have access to whatever portal it is, unless you have someone... Who can sell? Who can actually pitch it and actually sell it to their acquisitions board? You're not getting on. Um, with the with the slight potential for a very 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 rare exception, the only way you get on is if if you have an advocate or a distributor who's selling your film to them for you. That's, um, are you sure? I was just curious. Um, just. Because I've heard differently, uh, just because it's like if you want to get any of the VOD platforms, you just literally just have to pay an aggregating aggregator fee, like like literally like like distributor takes eight hundred to fifteen hundred dollars. You can get. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I mean yeah, for like iTunes, totally. Yeah, but, yeah, totally. But, that's but not why. even. But as well as yeah. Amazon and Netflix and Hulu, uh, at least that's what they're advertising. <laughs> they may get the deliverables ready for you. They may make it so it is technically capable of being played on those VOD platforms. Um, they will not actually get you on those VOD platforms. At least that's my understanding of it. Because I know at least, I know uh, despite having the huge catalog that they have, um, Amazon Prime is highly curated for only the best quality work. Um, so if they just took everything that came on, it'd be no different than create space. Uh, so that's one of the reasons you, it actually needs to go through the curation board. Um, and again, like if it's Gravitas, I think Gravitas actually does have the connections at Amazon, Hulu, and, uh, Netflix. I think they actually do. And they and you pay them for the aggregation fees, and then they will try to sell it, and then take a percentage of what the sale is. That's that's a little different. Whereas, like distribute, if distributor, sorry, if distributor just said, "Hey, we're going to put you on Netflix now, and you're guaranteed to get on," I would not believe them. I'd be very, very hesitant because Netflix is not that easy to get on to. They also curate their content fairly carefully um so and like hulu honestly out of all of them hulu is probably the easiest to get onto, but it's not an open door um 
So that's, I mean, Hulu just has a little bit of a lower standard, especially for their original content. Um, whereas Netflix original content is extremely high bar. Amazon Prime's original content is also extremely high bar. Uh, HBO, as you know, is extremely high bar. Um, but really beyond those, it's going to be... And HBO generally wants their content to be exclusive when you have it. Whereas, like, Amazon Prime, Hulu, and Netflix, if you're an indie film, they don't care if you're in all three of them. Um, but I believe if you actually make it on HBO, first of all, you get paid a lot more money. Um, significantly more money. Like a documentary, uh, like sometimes they pick up for HBO. I've, I've yeah. seen, yeah, something like that. I've seen a lot of documentaries get picked up. Uh, mm-hmm. in that respect what um so as a producer's rep or like you have you have a your 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 business as a producer's rep you're also running producer foundry or one of the founders of it um what is the goal that you hope to find uh transform or come about with producers foundry in the future as well as two-part question and then the other part is like what kind of films um are you looking for that that you find that, that you're just, you know, mouth watering for as a producer's rep? Um, I'll answer those in reverse. Okay. Actually, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, whatever. There's two um, parts. Yeah. Uh, yeah the, uh, <laughs> what I'm looking for as a producer's rep is literally anything I can sell. Uh, I'm very mercenary about it. Um, it is. And the things that are easiest to sell are, Action, horror, family, and thriller. Um, generally between 80 and about 105 minutes. Um, if you have those, and they're in those genres, and they're well-made, there's a decent chance we can all make some money. Um, and I hate to break it down that bad and sound like a complete uh, mercenary. Um, there's another word I was going to use, but I'm more <laughs> mercenary. Uh, so the, um, oh, also LGBT films. I know most of the LGBT distributors. Uh, so those are really easy for me Okay. as well. Um, but, and surprisingly, right after saying LGBT films, I could probably sell a Christian film too. Okay. A Christian family film. But anyway, um, the, um, so that's, that's, that's what you're looking for as a producer's rep. Like you said, look, I'm, I'm here to make a sale. Yeah. So let me help you make yeah. the sale. Yeah. And then you got producers foundry, which is developing, but is there like a, a future goal that you're looking to, um, you might've mentioned it earlier, but I just want to make sure I didn't uh, miss anything at, at, in an earlier conversation. I mean, really, our goal is... The, the, the mission of Producer Foundry is actually very similar to your mission, Scott, um, in that we want to make film business education uh, accessible, and we want to create at least one strong community of entrepreneurial filmmakers I'd actually like to take the idea of Producer Foundry and start expanding it to major film hubs and anywhere where there's enough filmmakers to actually sustain a community of entrepreneurial filmmakers. 
personally, I'd love to go ahead and get this out there and have more chapter leaders outside of San Francisco in other places helping to create more content. And uh, I'd love that a lot. Um, but, uh, there, but there's one thing at a time. And, uh, right now we're fairly small staffed and, uh, we, uh, have our hands full doing everything we're doing. But if somebody who's listening to this and is in somewhere where they think that they've got a good community of entrepreneurial filmmakers that they'd like to help rally around, we're happy to act as a support system and let you use our brand and, other things. So it's more about starting, it's more about bringing more entrepreneurialism into film and trying to move away from a dependence on the studio system. Um, and there are other things we want to do in the future, including um, moving into potentially an accelerator or um or even bigger things that are so far down the line, I don't even want to talk right. about. Gotcha. <laughs> because I'll get emails about them. Um, but yeah, um, but the uh, but the big goal is just the the two first big the two big things we're starting with are to try to lessen the information gap between. Uh, the people who have and make the money in sales in Hollywood and the people who make the mo the independent movies. The biggest reason that there is such a wealth gap in that and why it's such a hierarchical top-down system is that there's a fairly large information gap. So we're trying so we're doing what we can to try to lessen that gap. Um, and then the other part of that, is no film and no filmmaker can exist in the bubble. So the reason we do these town halls, even though we often end up losing money on them, uh, is that we want a community of entrepreneurial filmmakers. We really mean that we want to build a strong community and have and be a place where filmmakers can sometimes come and bitch about their $5,000 corporate video gig and how they feel underappreciated because, let's be honest, that's kind of part of the road as a filmmaker. Um, but so those are the two big things. And then there's another project that we're not, that I'm not really able to talk about. Sure. Yet. Well, you know, when you're ready, you're, you're always yeah. welcome to come back on. So, yes, uh, no, it's a it's a tech company that uh, oh, I can say a little bit. It's a market network for the film industry, uh, which is basically a smarter set of project management tools built on top of a uh, marketplace that connects filmmakers, equipment, vendors. Uh, and anything else you need to make a film. It's basically a one-stop shop for everything related to film production. Um, we don't really touch distribution or editing, but um, and it's all meant to be handled through one 
single system instead of about the 17 that you currently need to go through. Hmm. So that's it, and I wish I could say more, but I can't. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but the uh, but that's actually going that's going pretty good, and we've got some. Did you have, have a like a Periscope uh, presentation on it? Just like we a week did. Ago? Yes, it's also an unlisted Periscope presentation. Sorry, <laughs> have, have the uh, the special link. link. So I yeah. saw the special link a little bit. I saw. I think I got half of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, you have to. Uh, so there is there there is information about it online, which is why I mentioned it. But uh, it is a pretty limited thing. But we're actually meeting with we're meeting with some pretty big Silicon Valley types, uh, all types, um, and it's starting to look like we may actually be able to raise our rather large seed round fairly quickly. So. And it's to build the technology, the app, or the it's whatever. to build the technology. Um, it's a web-based app mm-hmm. uh, to start um, and uh, build the technology, market the technology, actually start getting users, and uh, we should be doing a full public launch somewhere, roughly a year from now. We still have some things to build, and we'll do a beta. We'll do a soft launch before then. Cool. But yeah. Um, so that's basically it. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, thank you again for yeah. having, I hope I didn't talk your ear off. No, 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 no. It was good. I was curious. As, I was very curious to see where you guys were, where the direction was going, um, the stuff you're working on. But before we leave, uh, once you mention the workshop again, uh, the time, yeah. place, and, uh, what's it about again, just so people, it's easier to remember at the end. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Uh, the workshop again is on preparing for the American film market. It's, uh, September 5th, uh, from, 1230 to 4 at Sammy's Camera in San Francisco. If you can't make it all the way out to San Francisco because we are on the internet, we will actually, uh, actually we are already selling the workshop video for a, for the low, low price of 1995. Um, which coincidentally is the same price in my book. But, um, <laughs> so we are uh, selling the replay of the workshop um, through the Eventbrite page. Uh, which, uh, can you put that in, is there some place you can put mm-hmm. that? Yeah, yeah. I'll put it all yeah, together for you. That. Yeah. I'll send that there. Um, and the, uh, and then, yeah, that's in San Francisco and you can also buy my book at Barnes and Noble, a hundred independent bookstores and amazon.com. Cool. So yeah. Yeah. And just for those who need to know, um, the name, the title of your book again, I, I'll have the link, but just so the yes. people know. It is the Gorilla Rep American Film Market Distribution Success on No Budget. There you go. Hey, Ben, thank you so much. I will uh, follow up with you and uh, to encourage to see where you guys are going to take this for the next year. Yeah, thank you very much, Scott. All right, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. And that concludes my interview with Ben Yenny over at the Producer Foundry. If you just head on over to filmtrooper.com forward slash 88 for podcast episode 88, you can get all the details of his upcoming workshop. With that said, if you really enjoy the Film Trooper podcast, I could use a rating and review on iTunes. Just head on over to filmtrooper.com forward slash iTunes, subscribe, as well as leave a rating and review. We're almost at 100 episodes, and I'm going to try to build an event around the 100th episode, and your ratings and reviews could really help uh, push this forward. So think about that if you get some 
you know, free 30 seconds, you know? <laughs> Again, that's at filmtrooper.com forward slash iTunes. Takes you to the iTunes page. Ratings review. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. I'll see you next time on the Film Trooper Podcast. Mm-hmm.